This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Ava Benny Morrison, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. Um, Ava is a crime reporter with the Sunday Telegraph. Um, she's covered crime and the courts for several years in both New South Wales and Queensland. Ava is here today to discuss her first book, The Lost Girls, the chilling true story of the heinous murder of Carly Pierce Stevenson and her young daughter, Candelise, and how the case was finally cracked. A heartbreaking tale of a, of a vivacious young woman keen to discover the world, a loving family desperate for answers, dedicated invest investigators who never gave up, and a vicious killer who lied to the end in a bid to save himself. The Lost Girls is a gripping and authentic uh, book. It's a tribute to a mother and a daughter who was taken way too soon and the investigators determined to bring them home. It is really such a sad book in a way that is, it's just continuing. It's not a one-off. It is. It's utterly devastating. And that was certainly the sense that I got when I first reported on this case. It just kept getting worse and worse with each police press conference. When you thought, you know, you were shocked to no end, uh, the next week you'd find out a bit more, I think. And that's certainly what lent itself to writing a book about it. Mm. So tell me about your job. I mean, it must be very, very difficult um, walking to those courtrooms day in, day out as a crime reporter and really not seeing much change because often the victim is, an, is a female and often the perpetrator is a male. That's right. Um, you know, after years reporting on crime and, and court cases as well, Domestic violence has always been there, but there seems to be a, a very big focus on it at the moment. Uh, I can remember as a young reporter, and this is only about 10 years ago, when there was domestic, uh, in, an incident of domestic violence would come over the police radio and I'd go to my chief of staff and say, you know, what do you reckon, do we cover this? There was sort of the underlying consensus that we don't touch domestic violence, we don't Why? report on it. It was almost like the taboo that surrounds suicide a little bit. And media organisations have that with suicide, where we don't report on it. We do a lot more, um, but if if it comes up, a body's been found somewhere and it looks like suicide, we generally don't look at it. And domestic violence used to be like that. So I think we've come a long way in the past 10 years. And because of that greater focus on it, we're really delving into... Um, how how this domestic violence plays out and that it happens to everyone. It's not confined to one group in society either. It can be difficult, especially when you see the impact on the families and the friends and the people left behind. That's that's the most difficult, I think. Mm. Well, Jean, what are the stats around um, 
women being killed um, in New South Wales and Victoria. Um, and I'm only asking that because recently we've seen those women being murdered in Victoria and it feels like it's more prevalent down there. But is it pretty much the same? Particularly in Victoria, we, we've had this string of uh, what we like to call the stranger homicides. So completely random um, girls being targeted walking through parks or, you know, the most recent case of a girl who had been sleeping rough and she was allegedly murdered by a man um, she'd only recently met. There's been quite a few of those in Victoria, but, you know, we're not short of them in New South Wales either. I think they just they just come in, in spates. Um, when you look back over the past few years, a couple of the ones that I've reported on was the school teacher in uh, country New South Wales near Griffith, Stephanie Scott, who was oh, murdered. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. She was getting married. Exactly. Um, and that was just utterly devastating, especially for her family, her fiancé. Then there was Prabakuma, a woman who was walking through Parramatta Park who was stabbed to death. That still hasn't been solved either. That was a few years ago. So, you know, it, it mm. comes in ebbs and flows. Mm. Okay, so tell me, I mean, you see a lot, you report on a lot. Tell me why this story stood out for you, The Lost Girls. I was working for a newspaper as a crime journalist in Sydney in 2015 and this case came about. It, it first came to my attention uh, when the, a body turned up in a suitcase in South Australia in July 2015 and police couldn't figure out who she was. Um, the case had gained nationwide attention and it was getting more and more mysterious. I think the police were really frustrated thinking, how could no one notice that a two-year-old, three-year-old girl's missing? Does um, her family not notice? You know, what, what's going on here? And I was asked by my chief of staff at the time, can you do a follow-up story on that case? Which was a little bit unusual because it happened in South Australia and I was working for the Sydney Morning Herald at the time and we are pretty, we were, sorry, pretty New South Wales-centric. Mm. But I had a look at it and something that really struck me was it's an unusual situation for police to have, to have a body but not have a name after so long. So it was a child? It was a child, yes. Yeah. A child's bones that were found on the side of the Karunda Highway uh, in rural South Australia. And they'd, it was obvious that the bones had been there for quite some time um, and there was a whole lot of other clothing and blankets found in the suitcase as well. And I started looking for any other cases that were similar and I came across um, an investigation uh, in New South Wales. It dated back to 2010 when some trail bike riders found uh, a woman's skeleton in the Belangolo State Forest. Everyone knows the Belangolo State Forest is Ivan Milat's dumping ground, essentially. And police were faced with the same issues where they couldn't figure out who that young woman was. And it was the same thing. They had the remains, but they, they didn't have a name. And whatever they did, they couldn't figure out who she was. So I ended up doing a story that compared these both cases. And it was just a fluke that weeks later, we were sitting in the newsroom one morning and someone called through to the crime editor at the time and said, mate, you should get someone out to Parramatta. We're going to make this huge announcement. These two cases that you would never imagine would be linked are going to be linked. And we're all standing around speculating, going, what could it be? You know, is it William Tyrrell and... Um, I don't know, Madeline McCain. Because he's still and, not being found. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. we were discussing all these unsolved cases and thinking which ones could they link. And lo and behold, we went out there and it was the woman found in Belangelo was the mother of the girl found in the suitcase in South Australia five years later. And you later. had looked at both cases? Yes. Um, I, I, I can't say it's a matter of skill more though. It was just luck. 
um, but it ended up being linked. And from there, the the case just snowballed. And you and know, what was the link? What did they discover? The link was that the woman in Blangelo State Forest was a young woman by the name of Carly Pierce Stevenson. And she had a two-year-old daughter. Her name was Candelise. And Candelise was the little girl in the suitcase. And it was only through matching DNA profiles and South Australian Police and New South Wales Police coming together and just cracking these two cases uh, that they were able to figure out who these girls were. And as I said, the case just developed and snowballed from there and it got worse and worse and worse. And I think... It really it, it, it became frustrating at times because you couldn't fit everything into a newspaper story. You, you think about when you're reading the paper, you have 300, 450 words to explain something um, most of the time, unless they're feature articles, you don't really get those from Monday to Friday. So you, could, you were always leaving the reader shortchanged, it felt like. And I just thought this case really lent itself to longer form journalism. Mm. And do you need to to take on a, a task like this, to write a book and to report about these um, two women or these two people, do you need to get permission? Not necessarily. And maybe looking back, it's something I would have done a little bit differently. But because I had been reporting on the case so much, I became quite involved in it and became quite invested in it. And then I was approached... Um, and asked if I'd be interested in writing a book about it. And I had toyed with the idea of writing a book, um, but I didn't know on what case. Mm. I I needed something that really sort of struck me. And then I decided to follow up this case, I guess. And it wasn't until a little bit later that I finally uh, made contact with Carly and Candelisa's family. That's because they're very, they're very private people. And when this all emerged in 2015, you can imagine that the, the media um, and the attention that surrounded them. They had people on their doorstep ringing their workplaces, ringing their wives, their husbands, all over the country. And so who was the family? Was it her mother? I mean, who were you speaking with? Um, so Carly was brought up by her stepfather, uh, a man by the name of Scott Povey. And she had been reported missing? She had been reported missing in 2009 by her mother, uh, Carly and Kennelise left Alice Springs in 2008 and her, Carly and her mum were really close. But when the contact started to dwindle, her mother, Colleen, got really worried. She went into Alice Springs Police Station and said, you know, I haven't heard from my daughter in a while. We just, you know, can you try and find her? And this is one of the most disturbing aspects of this case is police followed this up and spoke to the man that she left town with at the time, Daniel Holdham, and he, he said, oh, you know, she's going to Queensland with someone else, with another guy that she's met. Uh, I think I've got a number somewhere. How old was I'll call she you back. Time? She was 20. Yeah. She was 20 when she left town and when she was last seen alive. So police checked her bank accounts. It looked like she'd been using her bank accounts. Um, her phone had been used to message her, her mother, her cousins, her friends, her aunties, her ex-boyfriends. So that all pointed to signs of life. And they're sort of the mandatory checks that police make when they're doing a missing persons investigation. So police assume that she was still alive and well. It's a bit of a sticking point as to why they closed that investigation. Police say that the mother, that Carly's mother, Colleen, said I had a phone call from Carly so there's no need to investigate it anymore. Carly's family say no, police said that they'd found her alive and she didn't want anything to do with us so that's why they closed it. 
Um, but Carly's mother, Colleen, actually passed away from breast cancer um, oh before she knew what happened to Carly and Candelise. And uh, it was one, one particularly heartbreaking part of this research was the the stories and the memories from um, Colleen's family when she was really ill and she was, you know, days away from passing away, she was just constantly asking, where's Carly and Candles? Are they here yet? Are they coming? Mm. So did she leave town with her daughter? Carly left Alice Springs with her daughter in 2008. And she was last seen with this man? She was last, said. yes, she was last seen with this man, Daniel Holdham, who had been living in town for you know, several months. He had a girlfriend of his own when he moved into town. But in September 2008, he was driving a car with his then girlfriend and her three kids in the back. The car rolled, two of the children died, and his then girlfriend was left with really horrific injuries. She was in a coma, had to have one of her legs amputated, mm. and is in a wheelchair for life as a result of that. And it was when she was in hospital that uh, Daniel Holdham sparked up this relationship I guess with, with Carly and they left Alice Springs and went down to Adelaide and then on to Canberra and she was never seen again after that mm. and so okay so keep following the story for me so mm. you're following this lead and do you piece these story these because uh, it's bits and pieces isn't mm. it so you you bring that together by speaking to family and to police and how willing are police to give a journalist information? Well, I think especially when I started this book, he, Daniel Holden still had to go to trial and mm. a lot of people were reluctant to say anything to speak to me or be interviewed until he had been to trial. And looking back on it, I, I banked on that trial happening because you would have had three months of all the evidence the police had collected, countless witnesses, colour, uh, finding out about the ins and outs of the investigation. And I was, and I put a lot of um, faith in the fact that that was going to happen. Then a week out from trial, Daniel Holden turns around and pleads guilty to murdering Carly and Candelise. So that scraps the prospect of a trial, and I have to start finding these witnesses and these other people that were intrinsic in the police investigation by myself. So the family came on quite late in the piece. I'd asked. Um, some key members, so I'd made you know contact through a third party with with Scott Povey, Carly's stepfather, who's just a you know a beautiful, um, caring, private man, and just you know, and I'm so thankful that I got to speak to him at the end of this because he really shaped the way that um, I I he really shaped the way that I wrote about Carly and Candelise and how the readers now understand her. Yeah, because you didn't know them. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't think anyone really knew them because mm. the family had never done any interviews before. Mm. So we didn't really have a sense of who the victims were. And I think um, the, the negative impact of that was people made their own assumptions. Mm. People assumed um, based on... Um, the little bits and pieces that they knew about the case of the kind of mother Carly was, of the kind of background that she came from. Um, people had these misconceptions about her family and her background, which were incredibly unfair. Mm. So it was great to just talk to these people that knew her from when she was young and when she grew up and just to get a sense of what they were like. Mm. And, you know, just seeing straight away that she came from a big, loving, supportive family um, so that was that was great to get that, but it, it did take a long time, and it wasn't until the end of last year, to be honest, that 
um, Kakali's stepdad said, yes, I'll speak to you. And fortunately, I was. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Off work, sort of polishing off the end of this book, and I jumped on the first flight I could to Darwin and went up there and met with him. Um, as for the police... It was they were very similar where they didn't want to jeopardise the case early on by talking to me. Um, obviously, having been a crime reporter for several years in Sydney, I developed my own contacts and um, so that helped me along the way. Um, there was some undertakings that I could speak to people but, you know, it couldn't be on the record. Um, it wouldn't be published until after a conviction, which is essentially what happened. Um, so it was it was quite challenging and frustrating at times when I knew that I had a deadline and I had missing pieces of the puzzle and I was just constantly asking them, come on, please, just help me out here. Mm. But we got there in the end. Mm. It's really important because that people have a sense of, of who these people are because the bits and pieces you do get through the media could be so misleading. I mean, you look at so many... Um, people that have been murdered or accused of a crime and it really does depend on whether we like them as a reader or not, doesn't it? Mm. And that goes back to what we were speaking about earlier where the, we've got this focus on domestic violence and as particularly uh, violence against women and children. There is a shift, I think, in the reporting and the language that the media is using at the moment uh, in terms of how we report on victims. So there's a real... Um, I suppose people are a lot more aware and cautious of victim blaming and, um, you know, glorifying as well the offenders. You, you see the, the line that's constantly rolled out, but he was a good boy, he was a nice bloke, you mm. know, he loved his kids, he loved his wife, or well, obviously he didn't love his kids mm. or his wife if he's going to go and murder them. Mm. So it, it was um, important for me, I guess, to give the readers... Um, an accurate insight into what Car who Carly and Candelise were and who the people around them were and why they didn't think that they were murdered or why they didn't think that they were missing for so many years. Mm. I mean, and why was that? That's because Daniel Holden, the man that killed them both, was using Carly's phone to message her, her uh, mother, her stepfather, her aunties, her uncles, pretending that she was still alive. And even worse, he was asking for money. So he would um, use Carly's phone to text her mum, who was dying of breast cancer at the time, saying, can I have $500? I just want to come home. I want to see you. And her mother, obviously, was 
you know, dying to see her, wanted to see her, wanted her to come home. So she would do it without a second thought. And sometimes it would be the last bit of money they had left um, as she was undergoing all this medical treatment for her condition. Um, and he was also accessing Carly's bank account. So he had her Medicare card, Candelise's birth certificate, um, bank card, and he was going in and withdrawing money from her account, uh, which was Centrelink payments for being a single mother. Um, and as well, he was getting other people to do it. So one thing that emerged during um, the police interviews um, that I got a hold of and went through for this book was with... Daniel Holdham's ex-girlfriend, who I mentioned before was in the car crash, she went into Centrelink one day and pretended that she was Carly to get you know, thousands of dollars of back payment um, to do with child support. So she was a, a key player in this as well. What's happened to her? Hazel Passmore, um, she she was a great help to, to the police. When police finally caught up with her in 2015, they raided her house in Adelaide in South Australia and, and had a pretty, pretty good picture of, of her relationship with Daniel Holdham. She, over the years, she was on the receiving end of some of his confessions. So after in 2008, he has murdered Carlin Candelise. He's, he's driven straight to Adelaide and got back in a relationship with Hazel Passmore, who's, who's just come out of hospital. You know, you know, we're not saying that she knew at the time that Daniel Holdham had killed Carlin Candelise, quite the opposite. But over the years, uh, Hazel told police that Daniel slowly drip fed her confessions she when hazel would find bits of carly um carly's possessions so her bank card or a medicare card in the back of his car and she would say to him what's this all about what's going on are you cheating on me are you still seeing her and he would just be you know fed up and say no she's gone you don't need to worry about her uh and then little bits and pieces about how he murdered her you know, stomping on her throat and the things that he did to Candelise were just absolutely horrific and and Hazel told police years later that that's what he told her about it. The obvious question was for them, well, why why didn't why did you say with him? And and this is where, you know, it's 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 hard for I suppose you and I to think to imagine staying with someone um, who has just admitted to killing a mother and child. Her answer or her justification was, well, Daniel Holden was such a prolific liar, which he was, I didn't believe him. Um, I didn't know whether to believe what he was saying um, and I chose not to. And it wasn't until she actually found a, an SD card um, and she found body, uh, sorry, she found photographs of Carly's body in a bush land on it. He took photos. He took photos after killing uh, Carly in the Blangelo State Forest and Hazel uh, miraculously came across this SD card, handed it over to her sister in 2012 and said, if anything ever happens to me, give this to the police. And it was then that Hazel said, I knew then in my mind something had happened and I need I need to get out of that relationship and they broke up not soon after. And she gave all this, um, this information to police in an induced statement. So that meant that anything that she gave during that lengthy interview with police couldn't be used in a case against her. And in 2015, when this all uh, came out and you know Daniel Holden was a key suspect and the identities of Carly and Kennelise were finally revealed and there's raids happening at Hazel's house and a few other of their friends, uh, Hazel Passmore's sister walks into a police station in South Australia 
with this SD card that she held on to for three or four years and said, um, I think you need to have a look at this. And the police, you know, had a look and there was photos of Carly in the Blangalow State Forest, which is just an incredible piece of evidence to get years after the fact. But also too, I mean, those two girls, seriously, Mm. they didn't think that it was the right thing to do to come forward earlier. Mm. I know. It, it beggars belief. It really it does. does. Well, being two women particularly. And I'd ask that question as well. It just seemed to some of the investigators that I spoke to along the way, why? Why did no one come forward? Because a few people knew they had hints of something that had happened. People connected to Daniel Holdham um, or Hazel, you know, witnesses would tell police that Hazel said at a barbecue, oh, I found these photographs and there was another... Um, a woman that was associated with Daniel Holden a few years ago, she told police, oh, I found these photographs of a, of a woman and there was blood in there. But if is that not enough to make people go forward? I just couldn't really get my head around it. Mm. What, what, you know, why you wouldn't go and tell police? And also as a member of the family, I mean, you know, of, of Carly's family, to be hearing this now, you'd be, oh, I mean, the frustration and exactly would be... Enormous. Exactly. And it's not that he has just gone and killed Carly and Candelise. He has endured endured the family's suffering Mm -hmm. for so long and pretending that she's alive, but, you know, she was trying to keep her family at arm's length as well. And there were some horrible text messages he sent, um, or well, that came from her phone. We don't know if all of them were him or other people as well. But who else would possibly do that? mm, Mm. There was a text message sent to Carly's stepfather, Scott, on her 21st birthday saying, uh, it's my birthday today, you know, have you forgotten or don't you care about me anymore? Mm. Completely unnecessary, not asking for money or anything, just mm. antagonising him or that, that is just cruel when mm. she's was murdered a year prior. Mm. What, what is the purpose of that? That is just evil. And did you meet him? Uh, Scott? Yeah. Yes, I did. You did? Yes. Uh, no, sorry. Did you meet the... Um, oh, Daniel Holden. Daniel Holden. Uh, no. We, no. He, he's been in jail the entire time, but we were uh, writing to each other from, mm. from while he was in jail. Um, and how would and you summarise him as a person? Before I had spoken to him, I built this idea up in my mind, having known the extent of the allegations, that he was just this... He would be this towering, sort of belligerent, illiterate monster... And he called me one day from jail and I was just so surprised at how, for want of a better word, normal he sounded. He was polite, well-mannered. And I think you know, looking back on that, it's it's his ability to be charming and ability to seem normal and polite that has helped him manipulate people throughout his life and commit these crimes. I think that he is a victim he thinks he's a victim. He blames this on. He blames um, his behaviour, his his criminal behaviour on everyone else. It's everyone else's problem. Oh, he is. Yes, yeah. I think he is a liar, um, and I think as well that his horrific upbringing of abuse, of neglect, of bouncing around foster homes has a lot to do with the person he is today. But that doesn't justify what he's done. Mm. Mm. It's it's beyond belief that he could have, you know, it wasn't just the act of the crime, it was the everything that went with it and how he kept 
that family going for all that time. Mm. Um, extraordinary story, really extraordinary story. Um, when are we going to see see the reverse? I mean, is it ever going? Uh, are men going to stop killing women? Do you think? Do you see? In what you observe and what you write about, do you think that even the awareness around domestic violence or just violence towards women now, do you think that in the future that we're going to see things change? I think so because this was a type of crime and a type of behaviour that only happened behind closed doors. It always was looked upon as being private family business, but now it's exposed and it's out in the open, and there is that constant public. What is private family business? Between? I know, I know. It's ridiculous. It's, it's it? ridiculous to think about, and you know, in, in that my short, relatively short um, career in journalism over the past ten, eleven years, how I've seen it change is it's come a long way about yeah. how we report on domestic violence and violence against women and children. So I think that... I mean, they hardly had a relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there wasn't any evidence that he had been violent towards her before this point, mm. um, which doesn't doesn't certainly make it any better or I- explain what he's done at all. I think that there is... We are seeing a cultural shift when it comes to violence against women and children because there is just that constant, unrelenting... Uh, condemnation of that type of behaviour and I think that will filter down hopefully through the next generation. I don't think we ever will see a time when men and as well women I guess aren't violent towards each other. It's a minority but we do see women that um, commit murders against their partners and and, um, particularly children as well. I don't think that's ever not going to happen but I think um, as as time goes on, um, the younger generations will accept and it will be ingrained in them that that is not acceptable behaviour. And do you think that, that there's been a shift in terms of, say, policing and in terms of papers, you know, the media organisation? Is, is that shift right throughout the chain, if you like? I think so, particularly from a media point of view. We report on these cases and these issues a lot more than we used to. And it's not just a man man killed his wife today in Sydney's West. It's, um, you know, highlighting who the victim was. Um, There might be a commentary piece with it about how this is unacceptable behaviour. Then there's um, commentary from, you know, senior police saying this can't happen. Family violence is a blight on our society. So there's all those elements that come into it as well. And we're not victim-blaming. Well, I like to think we're not victim-blaming as much as we have been. Yes, it still happens, but I think the tide is turning a little bit. And with police as well, they are quite um, open about a lot more transparent about the things that they do in terms of stopping domestic violence as well, which is it must be tough on them, yeah. Mm, exactly. Mm. Sometimes I just feel like they're hitting a, their head mm. against a brick wall. Mm, I can imagine, mm. yeah. Uh, Ava, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, what an interesting story. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. 
Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.